We are back. And I had to say back a little bit quieter today because I realized that I'm almost exploding my mic when I yell this. So we are back, guys, with another episode of the Do As I Say, Not As I Did podcast. And as always, the name kind of explains everything. We're giving you advice based on everything we did the wrong, everything we did wrong the first time. And that's generally a pretty presumptuous thing, but it's at least everything I did wrong the first time. I'm not sure about Nick's journey. Uh, each week, I bring on founders, investors, product experts, technology futurists, authors, sales gurus, and just about anyone who is very smart and can help us work out how to build great businesses. And then together, we answer the questions about what's going on in your lives and in your businesses. We either find them because people send them in, or I scour Reddit for the best, most, and int- the best and most interesting questions I can see. And the guests have never heard these questions before. So they're hearing them live for the same time as you're hearing them. I've seen them before though. So if you do have questions or you're trying to put out fires, send us an email and we'll workshop them on the show. So send them through to podcast at joeldietrapani.com. And as always as well, I know that that is a hard last name to spell. So I'm just going to put that one in the show notes and you can copy and paste later on. I'm your host, Joel Dietrapani, and I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of Vigo, which is an edtech scale-up. We've grown it through Australia, we've grown it through the UK, and now I'm in Austin, Texas, because the US is our next focus. On top of that, I'm an advisor and a coach in the product space where I help startups and businesses learn how to run great product teams, because running a great product team is the secret to building a great product that people want to use. And I very much got that wrong for a long time before I actually worked out how to do it. And today, I'm super excited to be joined by probably my first connection in the US uh, and my friend, the best-selling author, Nick Gray. Nick wrote one of the most influential books I read last year, The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, which is essentially a formula and a guide to hosting small gatherings or parties. The purpose behind this book is to help you meet new people, strengthen existing relationships, uh, and make you the person everyone wants to know. I actually read this book in the first week I moved to the US and then I threw a party three weeks later, which seemed impossible to me. But that event and that, I guess, whole experience was actually very instrumental in my whole experience in the US and the way I built a community here in Austin. I am forever grateful for the fact that I read that book. I really do love this book. I recommend it all the time and, and I very much am recommending it right now is that you should read this book. Um, but even before that, Nick built and sold two multi-million dollar companies. The most recent was Museum Hack, which was featured all over the internet. I was going to write down all the places this was this was um, like featured on the internet, but the list was just too long for an introduction. And outside of his most recent book, Nick is regularly hosting incredible events. Absolutely the best events I've been to in Austin have been the ones Nick's hosted. Um, he's constantly posting uh, on his YouTube channel and writing a regular newsletter, which I love. Nick is an absolute expert at building networks and building relationships. So let's jump into it. Welcome, Nick. Thank you so much for coming on today, man. Thanks for having me. How long have you been in Austin now? 10 months-ish. That's wild. That's wild, right? I remember when you were like, yeah, I just moved here and I'm going to host an event. I think at the time, like you said, it was an absolutely crazy goal knowing like nobody. And then your first party did pretty good. Didn't you have like 25 people there? Yeah, I had I had 25 people. Nick came, which was crazy to me because he was the author of this book that inspired me to do it. Uh, and then, you know, just had it's such an incredible group of people because, you know, the, the book teaches you how to do it. So I got the chance to just meet like artists and founders and investors and like incredible founders that had insane journeys and, and people of all different varying like financial backgrounds. And like it was just it was a super fun time. I, I was shocked with the outcome. It was pretty neat to see and it it really is the case study of the idea that everyone wants to know someone who's hosting events 
or everyone wants to be invited to cool stuff. And when you host yeah. a well-run event, it's kind of your ticket in. It's your card to make a connection with someone. You've done a really good job at that. No, I appreciate that, man. I honestly, the, the one... The one negative of the book for me is that now that I've started hosting my own events, I kind of don't like going to most other people's events anymore because I just love the format of this one so much. And, you know, when you reach out, like you get to have such interesting people. I don't trust as many other people to run events anymore. It's true. It's really hard. Once you go to well-run events or you host your own, it's hard to go to ones that there's no structure. I remember last year I went to, it was like a Christmas party that the woman I was dating at the time brought me to and we'd been there for about 30 minutes or so and there were all these interesting people in the room but they were kind of in their own little cliques and I said to her I was like hey is the host gonna like say something she's like what do you mean say something I was like well you know is he gonna like make an introduction maybe do a round of icebreakers or something and she just looked at me like no like no that doesn't happen no we're just here to hang out I was like dang you know there's all these people at this party And even if I was very outgoing in the moment, I'd probably only get to talk to five or six of them. And there'd be all these other people. Maybe I want to talk to somebody else there. You never know. But yes, going to a party with a little bit of structure ruins you forever. Yeah. I I actually, I have a friend in Austin. I'm not sure if I've told you this story, Nick, but I was telling him about uh, an event I was going to host. And he's hosted some pretty big and successful events in the past. And I told him, I'm going to have name tags. I'm going to do icebreakers. And he said like, Young people hate that. People are going to hate your party. And he came along, complete convert. He changed all the ways he runs his events since then. And he loves all the, like, the structure to it. Whereas like, I think it to me, it seemed counterintuitive the, the way you structured events, but I absolutely love them now. And every person who comes along, I, I always get the, this feedback. At least one or two people who come to an event I throw now, with, which is just the Nick Gray approach. They say something along the lines of, that was the best party I've ever been to. And I was like, it's really? so funny. It's pretty, yeah, it's wild, right? Folks say that a lot. I think it shows to how low the bar is to hosting yeah. a good event. Because it's funny. You're like, really? I just had like chips and guacamole and nuts and snacks. And like, that was the best party. But it's really about the people and the connections and the conversations at the party. My new line, by the way, that I say whenever I'm trying to talk to somebody about hosting a party, I say, look, don't focus on the food. I would rather have someone leave my party hungry rather than bored. And that line seems to land with people like, oh, interesting. Yeah. Feeding yeah. them is kind of easy, right? That's the easiest part. But if you can introduce them to interesting people, that's the key part. That's, that's really where you should focus on. And if you're throwing an event in Austin, in my own experience, and I'm not sure this is true 100% of the time, people don't care about the food. They care if you have mezcal. And just make sure That's you have so several funny. bottles of Mezcal. That's so funny. Mezcal's so hot right now. When <laughs> really I is. worked with a, a functional medicine doctor for a while, which is essentially looking at like the core of like what's causing the inflammation that causes you to have skin rashes or whatever it is. And the thing that they told me was, if you're going to drink alcohol, drink Mezcal. Because Mezcal is the lowest inflammation of all the various alcohols it's like the most clean pure version of it so i don't know if that's why mezcal is so hip and trendy here but it certainly is it was recommended to me by a doctor so you can say this is doctor approved alcohol wow well you know 
that's what the Do As I Say show recommends now <laughs> as our yes. alcohol of choice. That's Mezcal. So yeah. if anyone wants to sponsor the show with alcohol, send us a bottle of Mezcal. We'll drink it on the show. But uh, look, send will, us you, the we'll, we'll, we'll wrap that one up there and we'll jump into the questions today. Now back. Sponsorship job is here. You don't need to worry anymore. And as usual, I'm here to tell you about our partner. This podcast is brought to you by Miro, which means they're kind of like the podcast's supportive uncle. I don't know. They're just here to help us out. You know, they're the people that are always there. They're dependable. <laughs> Look, Miro is not just some simple digital whiteboard. It, it's it just it's so much more than that. It's a visual collaboration tool where your whole team can come together to work on projects, to flesh out ideas, to really build forward your business in, in any way that you need. It not just gives you the ability to bring the people that you work with together asynchronously or remotely. What I love more about Miro is that it gives you the, the ability to bring together the tools that you're using outside of Miro as well. You can bring all the different kinds of information into one place so you can make meaningful progress on projects together. Now, we use a lot of Miro. We use a lot at Vigo. Um, and we use a lot specifically on the product side of the business. That's one area where we find it super useful. And what we love to do with it is dependency mapping. Now, that's specifically really for us in the product planning and the engineering side of the business. Now. Obviously, tools like Linear and Jira do a good job of helping you plan your work and what you're going to build, and they have some kind of dependency mapping stuff, but I'm a super visual guy, so it can be hard for me to work out exactly how everything links together properly. So we integrate our Kanban systems, whatever you're using, you can integrate that with Miro to actually visualize everything that's coming up for you and your engineering team. You can kind of, by linking these tools together, you can kind of explode everything that you're working on to see how projects and even individual tasks impact one another. So, as I said, I'm super visual. So, seeing how all these things are actually dependent on one another, it allows me and allows our team to actually better plan what work is really the most important. So, take the time, link it in there, and actually see what you're working on. And are you working on the most effective stuff for your company? That's what we do it for, and we absolutely love it. So, get Miro today, sign up, get your first three boards free forever. And so, sign up at Miro.com slash podcast. And as always, I know I speak so fast and with an accent, so I'm going to spell it out. It's M-I-R-O dot C-O-M slash podcast. And uh, that's it. Thank you, Miro. And we'll jump back into the questions. So, this, this first challenge is called, how do you make entrepreneur friends? Pretty much everywhere the... Pretty much every wealthy person online says the number one thing to, the number one thing to do is spend time with successful people. I would kill to be friends with someone who, with experience growing a business and managing money, but I'm young and I have no expertise. I was wondering how I should go about meeting these people. Where should I go and where should I start? From Philbert the Fish. Nice, good name, Philbert the Fish. Someone read my book. The kid was in, I think, Kansas City. And similarly, starting out trying to meet business owners and entrepreneurs, had worked at a company but never ran his own business. And he had the same question, which was, hey, how do I surround myself with entrepreneurs? And what I said was, I said, you'd be surprised how lonely and isolated a lot of entrepreneurs are. The best ones oftentimes are just grinding in their business. They're focused on their business, their family. They're not out at networking events oftentimes they're just too busy and what I suggested to him was because I think he wanted to connect with other like um, HVAC 
business owners for some sort of roll-up strategy was I told him, I said, look, you are that link between all these other business owners. You're out there talking to them. You're the one that's on the phone that's talking. You should host an event for those types of people. And, you know, that doesn't always work, right? Because you don't know anyone's in particular. So I'll give the example of how I recently hosted an event for creators on TikTok who had over a million followers. I don't have a million followers myself, but I happened to make friends with one of them. I invited him to one of my events. And once he saw that I ran good events, I said to him, I said, hey, can we co-host an event for other 1 million plus creators? I'll do all the work. Just let me say that you're my co-host and I can have like your face on the thing so I can reach out to some of these other ones who they all knew him. And he said, yeah, yeah, that's fine because he wanted to meet them as well. And so having him as my like anchor co-host gave my party a little bit of legitimacy and that helped me to invite a bunch of other people. So my advice would be, clearly it sounds like I'm biased, but it'd be to host an event because everyone wants to know someone who brings people together. And the most interesting way to meet interesting people is to do interesting things yourself. The easiest way to be interesting is to host a good event. So host an event. That will be your key to meeting other business owners and entrepreneurs. By the way, your first party should not be focused on these business owners and entrepreneurs. You're going to be too nervous. You need to do a mix. Do like what Joel did where I think if I remember correctly for your first party, you did a mix of interesting people you met, your neighbors, folks you met on LinkedIn, business owners. It wasn't like specifically highly curated or was it? Please correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, it was just anyone I could invite. Yeah, yeah. For that first party, you're just trying to fill the room and practice and run a good event. And then I think as you've seen, Joel, because now you're eight or nine months into this, now you're able, you have such a good list that you can do curated events focused on really who you want to connect with. Yeah. Yeah, I think throwing an event is the biggest hack to meeting people. I would say, you know, absolutely do what Nick said. And and some of the things that, that you mentioned, Nick, I think are really powerful, which is interesting people want to be surrounded by interesting people. And throwing a party default makes you interesting. Like when you're in a room and everyone's there because you invited them, that actually just gives you a whole lot of social capital that you might not feel like that you that, that you generally have or that you deserve. But actually taking the steps to invite people and the fact that you're throwing a party, even in the invite, gives you a whole lot of social capital. So it gives you access to a whole lot more people. And not everyone's going to come to your parties, but that's also totally fine. It's like not you don't get 100% hit rate on everything, but that's that's also fine. So like, I think just for one is, is what Nick said, is like throw a party just to get good at throwing events and and, and get the comments there. Because even though I'm a very, like I love public speaking and I love meeting new people, I was really nervous. I was like ringing, I rang Nick on the day I was hosting my party, said, Nick, I don't know any of these things. And he, he talked me through it. It's like, you will be a bit nervous, but that's totally fine. Then as you host it more and more, you get super confident which gives you more social capital in those events. So that is a really good way to good way to meet people. But if it's you so actually funny wanna... that when you do your first icebreaker, I hear the same thing. Folks are like, "I don't want to stop the party. It's going so well. Like, why would I want to stop the party to run an icebreaker and like interrupt the conversations? It's going so well." But then you understand. You're like, "No, no, no. You need to be doing that as a host to help the party mix and mingle." 
But those feelings for the first time, yes, it is very scary the first time. And then you do them and like you build up the confidence. Something I say, and you probably know this now, because you can run an icebreaker in your sleep. You could host an event tonight and just like show up and be able to do it because you've hosted so many of them. But it is like a muscle, just like going to the gym or just like learning how to code or something like that. It's something, it's a skill that you can get good at. And I don't really talk about this enough, but hosting is a skill that you can get to be good at, and you can start with nothing. And so if there was anything I wanted to get out of this podcast, it's just to encourage the other founders that, number one, I know you're busy, and this is probably the last thing you think, but number one, if you learn how to do this, it doesn't take that much time. Number two, it is something that you can get to be very good at, and you can get to be good at it fast. Joel took the advanced course. I think in your first three months, you hosted like three events, right? I think more than that. I was I was going crazy. <laughs> you did go crazy because you had a combination of both wanting to help grow your business and moving to a new town. But yeah. you can learn how to do this, and you can learn how to do it fast. And then the last thing is that it does have very, very big benefits of building up your network of acquaintances and loose ties and social connections. There's massive benefits to it. Yeah. I guess, you know, at a high level or even like more esoterically, like I think Philbert the Fish here has the right idea. Like he, he, every wealthy person says, hang out with, you know, successful people. And that is fundamentally good advice. And, and it's not just like wealthy people, like hang out, the, the people you surround yourself with determine the quality of your life. So if you want to, to, to forward your life or you want to be more fit or more healthy or you want to go out more or you want to do more adventurous stuff, if you hang out with people like that, you're going to be more inclined to become like that. So if you want to hang out with founders who are more successful than you, you will learn from them. So I, I love that approach. Like definitely surround yourself with people. But surrounding yourself with people, in my opinion, isn't like, uh, it doesn't just happen. It, it will happen if you put the work in. So you got to put those reps in. And there are a lot of ways you can do it. Like you can go to networking events. I don't love going to networking events because because of what Nick said. Like the the really successful people aren't always at those networking events. I think it's good to go and, you know, get confident and to meet new people and expose your surface area to to more and more different kinds of people. But the real hack is to reach out to people. And when you reach out, have an ask. And coming to a party that you're throwing. And I specifically now always call my events parties. Because it's special when you get invited to a party. It's a favor when you get invited to an event someone's throwing, in my opinion. So mm. uh, I, I feel like it's more personal when you ask someone, hey, I'm throwing a small party. I'd like you to come along. It makes you feel special. Like this is Nick's whole world. He wrote a book about it. He invited me to one of his parties. I was like, oh, Nick invited me to a party he's throwing. Like I feel like so seen right now. Um, That's cool. So yeah, like it, it, I think... Uh, it, it will make people feel good. More people will say, will say yes than you think as well. Like people are craving mm-hmm. this kind of connection. Like you're craving mm-hmm. it. And like Nick said, other people are craving it too. So if you just become that person, you become that link, you're actually adding value to everyone. There's something special about inviting them to a two-hour party as well that when we hosted on a Tuesday and Wednesday night, which that's what my book prescribes, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. When do you host usually, by the way? What day of the week do you usually end up on? I have, ex- I have exclusively held my parties on Tuesday nights, but I'm breaking nice. that this week to hold one on a Thursday night. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I tried an experiment where I'm doing a very small event, yes. uh, which you're coming to, Nick. But, but, and I asked everyone, like, hey, yeah. what night works best for you? And so I went by crowd opinion. 
Yeah. Since that's a smaller event, I think um, I think that 100% sort of makes sense. And it's a special invitation and a special exception. But for hosting a two-hour party like we're talking about, that is a wider group where you're trying to get more people, 15 to 22 is kind of the magic number. I think Tuesday and Wednesday nights are really good. And when it's a two-hour event, it makes it very easy to say yes to. And that's another thing that you should be mindful of is how easy is your event to say yes to and the ways that we invite people, how we set it up, letting them know what to expect with the guest list visible, things like that. It makes it easier for people to say yes. It's another thing. A lot of people ask, oh my gosh, what should I bring or something like that. And I always say, don't have to bring anything. I mean, just show up if you want to bring a bottle of something like to drink, but don't even worry about it. Just swing by. I'd love to host you. Not doing a potluck, for example, or not doing BYOB, making it truly as easy as possible for somebody just to pop in is one of our goals as a host. Yeah. Lowering that barrier to entry has been really effective because also it means like on the day, if they're having like a shitty day and they're tired and they're like, oh, I don't want to have to like cook this meal, they don't have to. There's no expectation. Like just rock up, come in your work clothes, pop your head in and take off if you need to. It's true. Um, I, I, I'm I guess you know. A- sorry, yeah, I'm cutting yeah, you sorry, off. Here. Uh, uh, I was just gonna. I I was gonna go into this in another question, but I feel like it, it actually more so makes sense here. So you know, this person wants to make friends. Hosting an event is a good way to make friends. Obviously, your book goes into a lot of detail, but let's maybe break it down into like how do you host the event, but then also how do you who do you reach out to? I think are two pretty important lessons that that I took away from your book. So maybe let's start with like, what does it actually look like start to finish to host the event? What what is the Nick Ray formula here? What is the two-hour cocktail party party formula? The two-hour cocktail party formula is if you want an easy hack to remember, just think about my name, which is Nick, N-I-C-K. The N stands for name tags. The I stands for icebreakers. You'll lead two and a half rounds of icebreakers. The C stands for cocktails or mocktails only, no dinner. So it's not a seated dinner. And then the K, N-I-C-K, K stands for kick them out at the end. It's only two hours long. Um, That's the general gist of the event. Now, there's other things included like sending reminder messages, making sure that it's only on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, giving yourself plenty of time to fill up the guest list, a staggered event invitation approach where you get your core group first and then you reach out to a wider group but I'll talk about that now is who who do you invite for your first party the biggest thing I can suggest for your listeners especially since they're entrepreneurs and business owners they're probably overachievers don't plan your first event to be some like catered like SEO people in Austin Texas or something like that just host it for different friend groups So the most successful first party is when you invite a couple neighbors, a couple friends, a couple old colleagues, maybe some people from work. When you can mix those groups together, that's what your first party should be, people that you're comfortable with and that you're not going to stress out about. After you've gained some experience, then you can start to curate your list. Maybe you want to connect with business owners, for example. Then you can start to add more business owners to your group. But don't start out. Your first party should be very low stakes, low stress. Yeah. I actually think you can kind of keep your list somewhat uncurated for a long time as well. Because Mm. the thing is, is that when you make it, 
and an SEO in Austin, it kind of sets a like a tone for the for the event as well, where people are going to come in and they're going to be like overly worky. And when someone is like, when it's too overly like about work, where it like it has to be about that because you've set that tone, the conversation gets a little bit dry. So I kind of like like it. Like I always just steal Nick's exact name for a party, which is like Joel's icebreaker and cocktail party or something like that. Like super simple. It doesn't say anything about work. I'm only getting to the point now where I'm doing completely curated groups, which is like product leaders in Austin. But that's also not most of my events. I still like to host events that are just still, you know, very general because I think when you get like different investors or different founders or artists or this this interesting mix of people, it makes for Mm. a better time and better conversation. And you still get to have those interactions with people. You still get to have Mm. the small interactions because throwing the party isn't about having the deep interaction. It's about having the touch point with people, which you can then have a follow-up interaction. Like, hey, Nick, we had a great conversation. I'd love to get coffee. Do you have time next week? And so you use it as like a jump. I use it as like a jumping off point. That's so clutch is that you're adding value first. Before you ask somebody for something else, you are adding value to them by hosting the party, by showing them that you're bringing a good group together. So... That's major key, and it's what I advise people to do. I say, look, if you're trying to connect with someone, give them massive value first, and a way to do that is to host an event that they have a good time at. Yeah. And I just want to quickly touch on the N-I-C-K here. N, name tags, absolutely do name tags. For me personally, I forget names immediately when someone says it to me. So when someone has a name tag on, I don't feel stressed in the party. And then if someone else is bad at name tags, they won't feel stressed either. So you're just making it a friendlier environment. Also, one thing that Nick taught me is that he always writes like something interesting on there too. So I'll write Joel and like popcorn because I love popcorn. That will force people who are a little bit less comfortable in social settings to be able to start a conversation. So it means that mm. everyone there can have a permission to start like, oh, you like running. That's cool. I also like running. It allows people to find those commonalities. So name tags, I love them and they're super valuable. Icebreakers. So let me ask you so, something, Joel. For yeah. the name tags, when you write something interesting... One thing I, so I love doing that as well. I've been experimenting with it. It is an advanced move in my opinion because it can cause some guests to lock up a little bit. I don't know if you've experienced this where they come, you're like, oh, what's your name? That's an easy answer. They say the name, you write it down. And then how do you prompt them for the thing that goes underneath it? I'm curious what you're doing with this now. Because I want to dial this in and, and, and get other people to do it. But I remember I hosted like a podcast meetup and I was like, oh, and like, what's a topic that you want to talk about? And people are thinking, they're trying to pick the best topic. My line is piling up. And eventually I'm like, okay, look, here's some choices. Which one? And moving it along. So I'm just curious your experience with that and how you facilitate that question. Yeah. I, I've kind of like iterated it over time i don't say i don't just say like oh what's something interesting because then people feel pressured to be interesting i say like what's something you're interested in or you love talking about and then i but i immediately start giving examples like it could be food someone wrote chainsaw how funny is that um or someone wrote collecting cigarette lighters or someone wrote margaritas like anything jumped to mind for you so i immediately lead with things that that other people have written in the party um to get the get it flowing and then one thing that I do, but I don't know if it's necessarily good advice, is that at the end of it, especially when there's a group, I'll rate people. So I'm like, oh, Nick, kittens, it's only a three out of 10. It's not very original. 
and I because I do that to immediately make a joke of it so everyone feels like oh it's okay to say whatever so it's like we're all just having a fun time here good nice um, I like what you said about what's something that you want to talk about or what's something interesting and then immediately giving them examples and giving them examples is that idea of the host going first so you've got yours on there and you're giving them examples I like it in general for high level for listeners the name tag and this hobby or this thing you write underneath it it's a conversational access point to help people start new conversations and that's your role as the host and that's why your party will be successful that's why people tell Joel that was the best party I've ever been to because it's so easy for people to create these new conversations and that's really what this format is designed for is to help people have a lot of new conversations yeah and that is what makes it different to a normal party. So when you go to a normal party or a normal networking event, you can you can end up in a conversation for like 40 minutes or an hour or two hours. And maybe that's awesome, but it's probably not. And that's not what, you didn't go there to have one deep conversation. That's not where you go to these kind of events, which is why I love icebreakers, the eye of Nick. So when Nick suggests running these icebreakers, it's like you bunch everyone together and then you get everyone to go around and do like a 10 to 30 second introduction. Like, with one question like what's your name tell me what you do and and he always gives different examples of questions and the one i always use is what do you like eating for breakfast it's just a super easy question to answer the reason you do that is that you quickly get a like a survey of the room so i might notice like oh that there's another founder in education over there i'm just going to go chat to them afterwards so you get a bit of a survey it's a question everyone feels a bit more comfortable because i've spoken in public But the most important thing is when you do an icebreaker, you have to bring everyone together, which means you break them out of conversations they had before and you give everyone permission to go and talk to someone else. And that is insanely powerful. It really is. It's the secret weapon of icebreaker that not only do they start conversations, but they help people end their conversations. And that's what a lot of people miss that for many people, yes, it can be hard to start a conversation, but even harder is ending the conversations. Many people yeah. will sit in these conversations for 5, 10, 20 minutes longer than their actual utility. And even I do this. I have to admit, I went to an event about six weeks ago. It was for a friend's book launch. And I got in a conversation with somebody. And I'll, and look, I'll be honest. I was being a little bit lazy. I was just sitting in the conversation because it was easy. And I left the party having only talked to this one person. And I said, oh, shoot. You know, there were like three or four other people there that I kind of wanted to connect with. And in hindsight, I should have taken the big, bold move to say, hey, really awesome to connect. You know, I'm going to go mix and mingle, but it was really nice to meet you. I'd love to follow up later. I didn't because I was being lazy. But when you as a host can do that, people love it. I went to an event last night. I saw an old friend of mine who I haven't seen in a couple weeks, and he and I sat down to have a conversation. And the host came over and said, oh, you guys are friends already. Come on, you guys can talk anytime. Nick, why don't you come over? I want you to meet some new people. And I was like, oh, man, oh, you know? But I said, you know what? Thank you. You're doing the right thing. And sure enough, I ended up meeting three new people that I would not have met if he wouldn't have done that. And I was so thankful for doing that. Yeah. And then, and then just quickly... C, cocktails, super easy. Like it's fun. People like having fun drinks. Um, And it's not about dinner so everyone can stand up and mingle around, which I love. But K of kicking them out early, that is actually another kind of like overpowered hack. So the reason that it's overpowered is that you leave everyone wanting more. So if you kick them out right on 9 p.m., 
or whenever you end your party, like there's no like hanger honorers. You know, people are just hanging around until like 11 or 12 or one in the morning. We're like, I don't know if I can leave these people. And some people feel obliged to stay, even if they're getting to the end of their kind of social bandwidth. So if you kick them all out, they're like, damn, I left that party on a high. Like I'm definitely going back next time. So I, I just... I just think those hacks are really good and I'll definitely recommend doing all the steps in Nick's book because it makes it very easy to run an event. That Kick them out at the end. You'll be surprised how many people thank you for it afterwards. I don't know if people ever follow up with you, but they really do thank you for that. They, Especially for people who want to leave but don't want to be the first to leave. Not that they want to leave because your party's not good, but just like they're out of their bandwidth, like you just said. A lot of people just get exhausted. Like it's hard for them to go out and meet people and to talk. And so when you can give them the excuse, when you can end it on a high note, they will be so much more excited to come back to your party in the future. And that's really what this is about, is I'm trying to give you a formula, a method, a process, an operating system to host events that you can do regularly. And that's the people who have the most success, like Joel, is the people that learn how to make hosting a habit. It can change your life and turbocharge your business. Yeah. Yeah. And then the very last thing I'll say is because I don't think we've really touched on it. It's like, yes, hosting a party is great, but getting people there, the single biggest hack in my opinion is to just do LinkedIn cold outreach. I know that probably seems counterintuitive, but all the people I want to meet are on LinkedIn. They're founders, they're investors, they're interested in product, they're interested in education, they're on LinkedIn. Just do tons and tons and tons of cold outreach. So like if you're in a new city, you don't know people or if you're uh, wanting to get into a new group of, of friends, just do outreach. You'll get like a 5% hit rate. That's totally fine. Just Then just do 200. Like it doesn't matter. Just, but if the more outreach you do, the the bigger and the more varied group of people you have at your events. There's a big event that I'm working on and... I did cold outreach to the person. I said, hey, I'm working on an event. You know, Can I send you the info? Um, and they said, yeah, of course. And I sent him the info and he, he wrote back. He said, oh, I'm not going to be able to make it. And it kind of bothered me because I was like, damn, like, did he not like my event design, the structure, what it was about or whatever? And I took it personally, right? I was like, crap, Like, was my event bad? So I wrote him back. I was like, hey, I hope you don't mind me asking, but like, because I'm obsessed with throwing really good events for really interesting people doing great stuff, which is you. Is there anything I could have done to make this like more attractive for you to say yes? And he wrote me back today and he was like, oh, actually, I just got back from an event and I'm like so focused on my business. I realize how hard it is for me to go to events and how much drained I am afterwards. And I usually never go to events, but I went to this one event. And when I got your message, I was like, yes, I should do this. I should do it. But then he said, I went to this event, I realized it's not for me and I want to focus on my business. So it's nothing against you, it's just a choice I made to like literally not go to any events. And I was so happy that he sent that because I was here worried, oh, it was me, it was my event, it was messaging. Know that you need to do a lot of outreach. You may want to get five new people to come to your party. You may have to reach out to five, 10, 15, 20 people Getting a no is normal, and it can be hard, but if you've ever worked in sales, you know that, yeah, it could take you five no's to get to five yeses. Know that it even happens to the best of us, but those new connections, those ones who say yes, hosting an event like this will turbocharge your connection. It's really incredible. And then also those people that you meet, 
will start inviting people they know as well. So yes. from there, like your network just butterfly effects and, and compounds over time. That's one of the most surprising things that people say is after you host a couple events, people are begging you to invite their friends to the events. Oh, yeah. Jamie just moved to Austin. You know, Can you invite her to one of your events? She'd love to meet some new people. And now like you don't even have to do the outreach. I get so much inbound now that I, yeah. That's pretty nice. That's a cool little feature of it. Yeah. Well, we've gone so deep on this question. I'm going to try and close this one out here, but this has been a lot of fun. So how do you make entrepreneur friends for Phil with the Fish? Essentially, the easy hack is to just start throwing events. When you throw your own events, you become way more interesting to the people that you find interesting. And what that does is that allows you to immediately add value to them. And so you're not going out, you're not asking them for favors, you're not asking them for anything. You're trying to add value to them because coming to your party actually adds a lot of value to them. They get to meet new interesting people too. So throw events, throw more and more and more events. And there's a lot of little hacks that you can do to throw the events effectively. But all that is in Nick's book. So the second piece of advice is to just read Nick's book. Like genuinely, it's, it's pretty short. It's really easy to read. Like you can read it in a day or less than that probably. And if you really want to get a hack, listen to it like I did the first time. I listened to it, but then I was like, wait, I want the physical one of this. I bought the book as well. But Nick has, I think you read it on Audible. Hey, Nick. Yes, yes. I recorded it. I had a lot of fun in the studio recording it. One funny thing of doing it in the studio was, you know, we were scheduled for like two or three days and they asked me what I wanted for lunch each day. And I think I was booked from like only 9 to 1 p.m. like each day, like only four hours. And that's like around lunchtime. I was like, I don't need lunch. You know, like I don't need to have lunch. I'll handle it. They said, no, 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 just trust us. You're going to want lunch. I was like, I don't think so, but fine. Yeah, I'll take a sandwich. (laughs) I chose something. Joel, I kid you not. After two hours, we had to stop the recording because my stomach was grumbling so much. Because I'll tell you why. Think about purely talking, performing, nonstop for two hours straight. We're here on a podcast, right? We've been here for about an hour. We're chatting. We're going back and forth. It's casual. We're thinking. Imagine performing. You're reading from a teleprompter for two hours. I was exhausted and so hungry. So I was like, we got to take a break. They're like, yeah, like we can hear your stomach on the microphone. And I was shocked. I was, I, I devoured the sandwich. But yes, I, I did record the audiobook myself. I think I had a lot of fun with it. Well, that's some behind the scenes info for you there. When, when you read, you, if, you, if you listen close enough, you can hear Nick's stomach grumbling about halfway through the book. You might be able to hear my stomach. <laughs> That to their credit, oh my God, they, they have some software that runs on all the recordings to catch any blips or like the tiniest of noises. When my hand would like jingle my keys in my pocket, it would show up that we would have to re-record it. And I would like put the headphones on and, and, and put it way up to my ears and you could barely hear this. And sure enough, we'd have wow. to re-record it. It was amazing, actually. Well... Maybe we'll recall the Do As I Say podcast in a studio like that and you'll get way better, way better audio. <laughs> um, all right, well, Philbert the Fish, you have been advised. Read Nick's book, throw events. It's the biggest hack to meet new people. I think we've only got time for one more question today. Um, so I wanted to take you know, a bit of a right turn. I, I've heard Nick on a lot of podcasts and he gives a lot of good advice around throwing parties. But Nick has also built and sold two businesses. So I want to take this in a bit of a different direction. 
So this challenge is called, is it the right time to sell my business? I'm, a bit of a, I'm at a bit of a crossroads in my life and would love some advice. I currently own 100% and operate a digital marketing agency. We're pretty profitable and have been growing rather quickly as well. For some context, 2021, 200K profit. 2022, 380K in profit. 2023, 575K in profit as of July. Uh, wow. On the personal side, uh, I just broke the millionaire mark. I don't spend more than 5K a month on living and I invest everything else. I just got an offer to sell my business for 1.15 million upfront and 200K over the two years through seller financing. I would also be able to keep 15% of the company as a passive investor. On one hand, I really like the idea of selling. I've been working my ass off since I was 15 years old. I haven't really had a break since then and I feel like I'm always in a constant state of stress rather than enjoying my 20s. So yes, making over a million overnight and being able to wind down and relax for a few years sounds real nice. On the other hand, I don't want to look back and think, shit, I, should have so- I shouldn't have sold the business. I'm aware that this is a cash cow. I'm pretty confident that if I continue to bust my balls, I'll be able to keep the company at 500 to a million in profit each year for the next few years. My ultimate goal is to FIRE, which is I think financial independence retire early. I know if I sell today, I will not have enough to retire in full. So I just want to consider the pros and cons of both decisions and get advice on what I should do. Thanks in advance, Jawcall10888. So I figured, you know, we probably don't have the answer for this person. But how did you think about this when when you were considering selling your businesses? Hmm. First of all, I think the idea of fire is a little bit stupid because true entrepreneurs like this guy who's been grinding since he was in his teenage years is going to be bored as heck. And after a year or two, I think he's going to go back to business and entrepreneurship. But I guess it does give him the safety and the security to think about that. So I understand that. Um, But I think that when it stops being fun, when you stop getting excited, when you have the Sunday scaries, if any of those things are happening, it's probably time to sell your business. That would be my brief advice about that, that we as entrepreneurs are very gifted and that we get to work on whatever we want to. And if the business becomes more of a job and less of a passion, then I would consider selling. Yeah. I've not sold a business, so my advice is just guessing. But I think that makes sense, you know. If you don't like doing it, sell. If you still have a lot of fun, keep doing it. But I guess the other... Like, it sounds like this person is in their early 20s. So they they probably, like, still have a lot of financial freedom. Like, probably don't have kids may or may not have a mortgage like they they can like they can keep risking stuff so if they sold this they could probably set themselves up pretty well or they could just keep going and and bet big yeah there's a chance that this guy just needs a vacation he may just need to take off a couple weeks and uh and zoom out and see what he's drawn to so that would be my immediate suggestion would be to truly step away from the business for a week or two and if you can't step away from the business, then put systems in place so you are able to step away from it and see if that time away from the business, are you excited to go back or are you ready to let go? Yeah. And I think your point is great, which is that even if you take two years off, you're going to do another business. Like this, you've been doing this since you're 15. This is what you're meant to do. You, you create and you run businesses. So mm-hmm. you're not going to be 25 and then never work again. You're just going to work on different stuff. So... Do you like this business to keep going for a while and sell for more? If so, great. If if you want to do something else, sell and do something else, but you will be doing something. It's not like you're just going to relax. You might relax for a little bit, but you'll go back. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's especially for business owners and creators right now. This guy's probably in a situation where he is in demand every single day. People want him. They need him. He's working on things. He's very busy. To go to absolutely nothing, while it may seem like oh, such a dream at first, I promise you, after a couple months of that, you'll go crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a real quick one. So, Jockel ten eight eight eight. The advice here is take a vacation. It seems like you're probably just maybe a little bit burnt out and you need to see things clearly. Uh, and then the second thing is sell the business if, if you're over it. If you're not enjoying it anymore, if, if you don't want to get up on a Monday and go to work, that's when you should sell. If not, you're going to keep working like this your whole life. So it's just whether or not you want to get out of this business into another business is the real decision you need to answer. But also, congrats, man. Making a million dollars of profit in a year is pretty freaking insane. Like, and you're in your early 20s. Like, that's wild. So you've done something really freaking awesome. All right, Jockle, you've been advised. And we sped run that one so we could get through two questions, but uh, we'll, we'll finish this one up here. So the last section of the show is plugs. So Nick, what's going on? What would you like to plug at the moment? Oh, I'm very passionate about my book. I, I worked on it for years. The name of my book is The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. You can find it on Amazon, on Audible, on Kindle. And then as Joel knows, I'm also doing a lot of videos. So you can find me on all the social medias as at Nick Gray News. And then the last thing I want to plug is my friend's newsletter. I send it out once every month or two. And it just has interesting things I've seen, read, or experienced. There's no ads. There's no sponsors. It's a free newsletter. And you can check that out at nickgray.net. And uh, just to be super clear, Nick isn't plugging someone, his friend's newsletter. It's that his newsletter is called My Friend's Newsletter or something? Yes, yes, yes. Nick's Friend's Newsletter. Yeah. yeah. It's called Nick's Friend's Newsletter. Okay, great. And so it's for all of his friends. And I think it just started out that that originally was just your friends, but it just kind of exploded since then. Uh, yeah, that's how I started it many years ago is just sending out to a message to my friends all on BCC with just like cool stuff, kind of what I was up to. And now it's 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 still my friends, but also f- folks on social media who follow me, things like that. Yeah. Well, I, I can't actually recommend those things enough. So like my first plug is, is to do those things. So the book, absolutely. Like if you read and you implement that book, it will change your life. Like throwing parties is, is such a hack that you should do. But also follow Nick's content and, and, and get on Nick's newsletter. What I just I just want to make one point really clear about Nick that I don't think many people really understand. Nick has sold two businesses. Nick doesn't need to work. I don't think Nick makes any money out of his book because I think he gives away more books than he even sells. Nick is just doing this to add value into the world, which is really like economically a strange thing to do and it doesn't make sense. So he's just out here adding value about things that he learned in his life that made his life better. So all of this is really just coming from a place of love. So like Nick is just putting love out into the world. So would recommend reading all that kind of stuff. I, I absolutely love all of his content. And then on my side, as always, I'm going to selfishly plug myself. So get out your phone right now and uh, go to YouTube. YouTube's the one I want the most subscribers on. So go to YouTube and hit subscribe and then also comment on my videos. So everyone comment, leave leave only nice words, please. Um, we like positive feedback. If you've got critical feedback, send that privately so no one else sees it. Um, and then I condone stealing if it's for this purpose. So go steal a phone, subscribe on their phones and download on their phones. And, uh, and then lastly, if you've got questions, send them through to podcast.joeldietropiner.com. We'll workshop them on the show. Actually, that wasn't lastly. The real lastly is uh, is if you want to have a chat with me, I've got a booking link in 
the show notes. So check out my calendar. Let's jump on a call. I love meeting new people. I love talking about product. I love talking about all these kind of startup challenges. Um, let's let's talk it through. And that's it. So Nick, man, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it was so fun to talk about this with you. Uh, I know we've had these conversations whenever I call you and ask you questions, but it was great to get on a podcast today. It's great. I'm looking forward to seeing you at events and for hosting events. You're doing a great job and this is cool for folks to hear about. Awesome. Well, this has been another episode of the Do As I Say podcast. We'll see you all next week.